trails of troubles, rows of battles, hands of victory, we shall walk. Good afternoon and welcome to WEHC. She Walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock, and we're so glad that you're with us on today. Carly, it seems like ages since we've uh, talked about anything in particular, and I know it hasn't. It's just been weeks or a week, but we it still feels like a long time, but I'm glad to be back. What about you? I am thrilled to be back. Yeah, when we have breaks from school and those kinds of things, it... it uh, it takes a little while. And then when we get back to school, get churned up, get ready to go, it seems like, gosh, it's been a long time. But anyway, welcome audience. And today we're going to start a series. We're going to talk about several things, but we're, we're going to talk about several things that are in line with a key concept that we, we've been exploring and talking about. And it's just entitled disruptive change. Now, I know for somebody that almost seems oxymoronic or it seems like it's something bad, but really it's something good. And so we want to give you a, a definition. There are many definitions of disruptive change, but we want to give you one that you can kind of hold on to because one of the things that happens is when disruptive change comes along, it makes a big difference. So there is a definition that says disruptive change is a non-localized future, irreversible, and change that affects a portion of an industry. And it says this change can be caused by market trends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I believe that we have some other social justice issues that are in line with disruptive change, like dismantling racism, um, like representation. It really does matter. And just a lot of things. So we're going to talk about some of those. But Carly, what are you sensing or feeling about disruptive change? Yeah, so in the little bit of research that I did before we jumped on here, there's a lot of discussion around disruptive change versus incremental change, right? Mm -hmm. Which one is better? And that incremental change has often been the path that people choose, whether they're talking about making changes in a business or whether they're talking about making changes for social justice. It's incremental. It's we're doing this step and then we're going to advocate for this little bit of change and kind of so on and so forth. And how disruptive change often happens when people are put into a situation where they just can't do anything else but change. And one of the examples was actually about Zoom. Zoom was a company that was practicing the incremental change model. All of a sudden, the pandemic hits and we need Zoom. It has to be, it's the pinnacle, the cornerstone of everything, right? And then they were forced to do like drastic measures, disruptive change, right? Another term is the disruptive transformation, which I think is a good mm-hmm, way to say that mm-hmm. too. And, and I think one of the things when we look at it from a social justice perspective, we can think about George Floyd in terms of disruptive change or disruptive transformation, because after George Floyd, from a social justice perspective, nothing has ever been the same, nor will anything ever be the same. And that is one of those places and spaces where we see that it is irreversible. We can never go back and say that treatment of any individual, such as what happened to George Floyd that ended in his death is ever okay. And so we need, we need an irreversible change. We need a, a innovative change agents or agents is plural to come along and say, hey, what are we gonna do? Because we gotta do something. We can't keep doing what we've been doing. We gotta do something. And so, you know, along with social media and those kinds of things, we've seen uh, change in, in our system, our policing system. We've seen change in our social justice system, delivery options for people who are incarcerated. We've seen some massive changes that have gone on. And in some of the articles, they say that when, you know, one of the pros for 
disruptive change versus incremental change is that it's less easy to backslide. Um, so, <laughs> you know, what happens sometimes is like, we'll take a step in the right direction and then we'll slowly kind of backslide into what's comfortable or what we've been doing. But disruptive change kind of forces you to be like, no, this is what we're doing now and we're sticking with it. And I think when we think about that in the social justice perspective, that's what we need, right? We need those big, solid changes that we are going with this now and that's what we're doing. And we can't, the whole issue, I think that's good, Carly. And, and, and to add to that, I would talk about not only that, you know, this is major, we're going to have to do it. We can't go back. It's not, that's not one of the options. We've got to keep moving forward. But also the fact that it's a global kind of effect. It's mm-hmm. not just localized. You know, when they say that it's non-localized, what they mean is like, you just can't handle it right here. It's everywhere. It's the big picture. And so we've got to figure out what to do in the big picture scheme instead of what to do in in small increments. Like you said earlier, you can't do that. This must be done and it must be done large. And so whether we're talking about businesses like Zoom or Amazon or what's the one uh, we we talk all the time about what happened to... um, the camera at Kodak, you know, what happened Mm -hmm. to them and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's all been revolutionized. It's all been changed. And so whether it's retail, whether it's, uh, you know, not for profit, whether it's just uh, general, that change is happened. And so we have to have another way to respond to disruptive change. We can't, like you said, we can't go back. We can't do it a little bit and then backslide to use the term that you use today. That's one of our Christian terms. Uh, uh, Carly kind of took me oh. off there for a moment. <laughs> I said, what's Carly doing talking about backsliding? <laughs> but, um, you know, this change, it, 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 it requires that we do something about it, that we respond to it, that we, we start. I mean, it's, a, it's almost like a forced option. I like to describe it like that. It's a forced option. You can't do anything about it. And so there are some things, you know, we when we talk about like dismantling racism, are we tied dismantling racism to the George Floyd situation or any of the other people who've been senselessly murdered because of uh, structural systemic racism and and power and, and powerless and subordinate and dominant and all those kinds of things. This has disrupted the status quo. And so something has to be done about it. We cannot deny it. And so we've got to make some kind of efforts, smart efforts to move forward. One of the um, articles talks about disruptive change in a really interesting way, basically saying disruptive change happens because the current system loses value because of new cultural expectations or norms, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think is a really good way to think about that. We expect something new from this system. This current system is not um, supporting that. So it's time like to fundamentally change it, which I think is perfectly in line with what you're talking about. And, and when we change it, we have to do it right. You know, we, we have to identify what is, what's our challenge? What's before us? What do we need to do? What do we want to do? What do we have to do? And then we have to do it. And too often, you know, when you when you're looking at systems, people like the status quo as long as they we say things all the time, like if it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, we have and, and and sometimes these systems need to be broken so that the change can occur. And so that leaders who've always done things the same way, they don't do well in this disruptive change process because they want it to remain the way it was. And in disruptive change, it cannot remain the way it was. It will not remain the way it was. It will not go back. And so I think, you know, when we look at racism in the United States, 
you know, the whole anti-racism movement, it's not new. It's not anything that uh, Ibram X. Kendry or Kendi, mm, Kendi, yeah. uh, you know, he, he brought that to the forefront, but people were talking about anti-racism at the turn of the century. So, I mean, we just weren't using it in this kind of way, but we were talking about it. The sociologists, the political scientists, all those kinds of people have always talked about anti-racism way back when. The Cumbahee River Collective, they talked about anti-racism in their speech So, and in their treaty. So, you know, it, it's kind of like these things have been happening and they're they're on a course and it's been traveling and we've not recognized it because we wanted to see it as as an anomaly when in actual fact it's changed the course of history or history and i think you know you're exactly right people that operate sort of this incremental change model don't do well in this disruptive change model because they think okay we're going to do this right we're going to make this step in the right direction it's going to be wonderful we're going to celebrate it it's great and then what happens is they make that change and then people are like, okay, but what's next? We just did this huge thing. Why are you asking what's next? And so people don't realize that like those little changes, we need more. We need more. The, we have to fundamentally change this system. And so people tend to get frustrated, right? When they're like, why are you not appreciating this incremental change we're doing? It's almost like incremental change won't get us where we want to be. And that's kind of the way this whole, all of the anti, whatever the isms are, they've always been done like that. Well, you look at the progress that you've made. You've measured progress in increments, small, sustainable progress. And people have wanted to celebrate that and looked at it like it's something, this is major when really it's not. And so this disruptive change, it it's not even, I think sometimes when, when I talk about it, uh, people say, oh, I'm going to be in the street causing a riot, or I'm going to be doing this. And they look at it like just the nature of the word disruptive change makes people uncomfortable because yeah. they're seeing it as something that's going to bring them out of their comfort zone in a way that they're not ready and they don't want to do it. But if you really sit back and look at our society and look at what's happened, I mean, our LGBTQ plus community, that's been a disruptive change. It's so disruptive that in the United Methodist Church, we are about to split and the United Methodist Church will never be the same. Yeah. And so this is the kind of way that when we look at disruptive change, we look at the power that it has to bring about, to change social systems. And that's something that we've really not been doing or not been necessarily looking at it. There was this one article that I read, Carly, and it said that there were, when you encounter disruptive change, there are three things that you have to look at. You have to look at the resources, you have to look at values, and you have to look at the processes. And it was saying that in the resources, you know, what do you have? What what do you have in on hand? What does your technology look like? What does your equipment, what do your human resources look like? What are your individuals, public relations, your suppliers, your products? All what does all that look like? First, you know, you have to look at it that way. Then what does the company value? And I think from a social justice perspective, this is the one that the the most germane to the social justice piece is that what what makes a difference in this disruptive change? You know, what are your priorities? And sometimes when we're dismantling racism or we're doing representation or we're doing full inclusion, we're doing those things. We say that it val that we value it, but I don't know if we value it enough to make the necessary changes. And then the other thing they talked about, they talked about the processes and, you know, what does your communication look like? What does your interaction look like? What, what kind of money are you putting your money to this change? Because sometimes we talk about change, but we don't put any money behind it. Or we do the lip service that goes with it, but there's nothing, it's not a saturated model at all. It, we want to do it just this little bit in this little place, this incremental way. And with disruptive change, you can't do it. You have to put your money where your mouth is. 
and you have to be willing to look at it. And it starts right now. It's not, you can't plan it. It can't be choreographed, so to speak. You wake up and here it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another article makes the argument about, you know, thinking intersectionally, which we talk about on this show all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times we, in the past, groups who have advocated for social justice or social change tend to focus on one particular group of people, which doesn't mean that that group of people, you know, their needs and their rights and everything are not important. But we have to start realizing that there is this huge intersectional piece. And that the more that we think intersectionally and work intersectionally, the more disruptive our change can be, right? If we're focused so narrowly, sometimes we do get stuck in that incremental change bubble. Right. And I guess prime example, whether it's LGBTQ+, whether it's uh, dismantling racism, any of those, we can't afford to just look at you know, the buzzwords and because it's so much more than that. And I think we get stuck on that. We get stuck in the process of we're going to talk about this, but we're not going to do it. And a lot of this allows us to embrace full humanity, all of the people of the universe. And we don't really like to do that because we want to do it just with, like you said, a certain group, or we want to concentrate on one single issue. I think it's Audre Lorde in their book, Sister Outsider, that said that there are no single issues. You know, it's all multiple. It's that whole intersectional piece that you're talking about. You just can't be single issues. And yet we we try to operate and act like it can be and it can't be. So I think there uh, there was one article that I read that talked about there were six disruptive demographics and it said that will change America forever. And there were these trends. They said some of them were like one of them used the term like the South will rise again, you know, and, and they were talking about these disruptive trends, how people try to act like that this could really happen. And really, it's never going to happen. It it won't, the South will not rise again. You know, it's not going to, it's not ever going to happen. Or the end of patriarchy. I know, Carly, that's something that's near and dear. And I love that t-shirt that you showed me. (laughs) That is absolutely beautiful. I wish you all could see it. Carly, do you mind telling what it says? And and, and you can't see it on our radio show, but but you can hear it. (laughs) It says, my favorite season is the fall of the patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is phenomenal. But, you know, trying to do that, trying to see if that's going to happen, it's really probably not going to happen in, in our lifetime. But that shouldn't keep us from trying. And that shouldn't keep us from coming and talking and sharing and because we are our world is changing you know and we are going to have to deal with an ever-changing world and the best way I think to deal with an ever-changing world is through disruptive change is to allow it to receive it and to see it as part of the process and to get behind it and to decide that you're going to do something with it. There's um, an article that I found. It is Disrupting Injustice Principle Strategies to Advance Social Justice. Now, this is specifically talking about in the school system. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I like that they, they did is they put injustice and then they'll list the injustice and then they'll put strategies to disrupt. And then they've mm-hmm. got four or five strategies to disrupt it. And their strategies are overarching things. So for example, school structures that marginalize, segregate, and impede achievement. A few of theirs are like increase student learning time, increase accountability systems, pull out slash segregated programs, right? So mm-hmm. these are all systemic things. So they're not talking about individual students. They're not talking about like, well, this is what we can do to help this one particular student, which is important. But they're talking right. about the system. And I think that's where we need to start shifting a lot of our focus because we can help individuals. We can talk about individual justice all day long. But if we're still operating within these systems that don't support 
us and then don't work for us, then what are we doing? Yeah, because racial and gender inequalities and equities, they all still exist. They're at an all-time high and we can act like and say differently, but it really isn't. And so I think we do have to address the systems instead of trying to do it from an individual perspective. And individual allows us to maintain it be an increment change. Well, at our school, this is happening. Well, what about the rest of the systems that exist and operate constantly and continually you know we're not doing anything about those so we're saying hey look at us we're doing better but we're only doing better in the vacuum I mean I don't know who's listening and who's not but just recently I mean I I just kind of try to keep it real but this was a real sad Fred George is doing something I think it's in student affairs so he has some student affairs officers I don't know if you're one of them or not Carly but he put out a list of the people that were student affairs um, officers and it was a phenomenal list of some of our colleagues and, and it was looking, it looked like it was going to be exciting because the people on there were amazing. And so I sit back to him and said, where is or are the black women? There was no black woman representation. And he sent back and said, it has to be a black person. I sent back and said, well, what about the faculty that we have? Could you use them? Because I know people are tired of me being the only and using me. And so I'm not, when, I'm, when I'm catching these things and calling people in, I'm not calling them in so that I have a space. I'm calling them in so that people who look like me have a space. And so um, he says to me, he, he sends back and says that it has to be a staff person. And he said, Sharon, you would be in a prime uh, location to do that. And I sent back and said, well, you know, I don't want to do it. I I, I would do it if it meant a difference, but I don't want to do it. I'm not trying to say it's not self-aggrandizement for me. But this was the sad point when we started to look at where are the black women on Emory and Henry's campus who are staffers. And so I think it's me and T. I think that's and, and for whatever happen. reason, and T just joined us. So, you know, it, it, she may need a little while to get acclimatized and we may have a thing where we don't just give it to people who come on new. But is that not a sad commentary, Car- Carly, that on our campus, there are two black staff women, mm-hmm. me yeah. in the president's office and T, I think she might be in admissions or somewhere. And uh, of, of all of our staff, there's no one else. So I said all that to say, you know, from a racial and gender perspective, you know, we we would try to, we would want to say that we're doing well as with other systems and other organizations. But then when you start to look at it and you see something like that, how well are we doing? Well, we tend to, again, going back to that incremental change, we consider because we're doing better to mean that we're doing well. And those are two different things. And so, you know, and going back to that system. So we're looking at the individuals in this group but then systemically, why is that the result that we have, right? Mm-hmm. We have to look back at the system of, you know, okay, we, o- we do only have two Black women who are staff. So why is that? And so like figuring that out so that we can disrupt the system, right? And what, yeah, and disrupting, meaning, meaning bring about a positive, affirming, lasting change. You know, a positive, affirming, lasting change is what, what we want to do. And how how that happens i'm not really sure because you know we we we're struggling uh and as you said we 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 want to tout our laurels and say hey we're doing so well hey we're doing and i mean we as in the world we're doing so well but that's really not we've got to look at ways for positive disruption that brings about lasting social change and i'm not really sure carly um what we do and I thought about this from the perspective, we've been looking at something to kind of 
um, ground our show. And, and, and we're doing it with intersexual uh, issues and challenges and feminists and all those things. But even past that, I wonder how we can use a model for positive disruption to address the social issues, Carly, that we've been talking about. How do we, how, how, I'm just asking a question. I don't expect you to have an answer, but just to think about how do we start to do that? How do we start to, the things that we're talking about, how do we, get the things that we're talking about to be part of a disruptive change process? Yeah, I think that's an incredibly good question and I don't really have an answer. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, I think one of the places to start is to start thinking in terms of structures, in terms of systems versus in terms of individuals. I think that's one way to kind of start having those conversations. But I, I mean, it's, when you look at history and the disruptive change that happens, you know, it's usually tied to like a massive event, right? Something happens and we can't go back to the way that we were before. So how do we do that intentionally before those massive events happen or outside of those massive events, right? And how do we do it when we're in it? That's one of the biggest challenges, I guess, for me is doing it while we're in it. You know, when you look at things like you know, economic equality in America, you know, and you look at the, the research shows glaring differences, mm -hmm. glaring differences. So what can we do that disrupts that? Now we have, you know, we may have some African-American movie stars or athletes or whatever that make big money, but they are anomalies. That's not your, that doesn't do a whole lot to skew the, what the research suggests as far as for the economic, you know, disparities, they're, they're just anomalies. There are many anomalies, you mm -hmm. know, whole pro football team, that's an anomaly, but that's not in the scheme of the big picture, you know? So how do we, right. how do we take the, you know, like when I mentioned earlier, like the George Floyd, that was a disruptive change for America and for the globe, because I mean, that was seen all over the world that didn't just get stuck here. So social media plays a major role, I believe, in this whole disruptive change process. We've got to use that for our good. But how do we translate something like that happened with George Floyd? How do we translate that to everyday life, like our daily life at Emory or our daily life in our churches or in our social clubs or you know, with our families? How do we take that and translate it into smaller spaces and places? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be good for us to talk about, you know, disruptive change a little more and then talk about some of the processes that are in disruptive change. What do you think about that, Carly? I think we should definitely do that. I think that could definitely be a key uh, foundational piece for us to explore together. And we can look at disruptive change through a lot of different lenses. So I definitely think that maybe devoting several shows, if not, you know, a season to just looking at disruptive change would be great. Yeah, I just I just wonder how, you know, what we can say and what we can do and how we can take what, you know, we Carly and I, we get on here and we get guests and we talk about all of these things from an intersectional feminist lens and and all that's good. It really is. But after we've talked, then what's going to happen? And so how can we translate that into a innovative change model so that we can see some of these things to start to to happen because the truth of the matter is from an intersectional perspective and from a, uh, a multi-axis perspective, it, we're, we are America 
and I'll just talk about America, but I, I believe the world, but we will never, ever be the same. But it's just what do we, how do we get everybody on the bandwagon, I guess is what I'm asking, because it's clear that we're never going to be the same. We're not going to go back to enslavement. That's never going to happen. That's not as much as scary as it is. <laughs> and, and there are other forms of enslavement, institutionalized enslavement. There are other forms of it, you know, uh, our, our iterations of it. But the bottom line is, I do not see America ever going back to a place where a group of people based on the color of their skin will serve another group of people without any legalized, a legal way. I'm saying all that to say, so So then what are we going to do that's going to going to change those systems that look more equitable? What are we going to do? Yeah. And I think when you said, how are we going to get everyone on board? What it made me think of was it kind of goes back to that individuals versus systems piece, right? Because we're never going to be able to get everyone on board. That's just unfortunately the truth. Mm -hmm. But if we can change the system, if we can get enough people on board to change the system, then the system is the system and people cannot like it, but it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if we start thinking in more of systemic changes that benefit large groups of people, right? Then the few people that aren't on board you know, it doesn't matter because the system is changed. Well, it, it does matter, but it's, yeah. <laughs> it matters less because the system has changed, right? Um, right? And so, I, you know, the system has to support the people. And right now, a lot of systems don't. And that's just the truth of it. So I guess, and yeah, that's a good point, Carly. And then I'm even thinking about, you know, disruptive politics. Uh, I, I don't know if... Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and some of those things would be considered disruptive politics. I don't know, because when we say that the word disruptive is scary. I was in an interview and somebody was doing a round robin and they were asking me some questions. And I was talking about my disruptive change model for the United Methodist Church. And boy, were they ever afraid. They thought that I was going to take to the street with picket signs and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And they said, what do you mean by disruptive change? And so I tried to explain it to them what I meant by disruptive, because because where we are, we're in the issue. Our church is currently right now, churches are doing what's called disaffiliating. They are leaving the United Methodist Church. And in our conference in particular, we have about 80 to 100 churches that are pulling out and saying, we don't want to be a part, a part of your church if you're going to be inclusive with those gays. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be a part of it. So they're, they're leaving. And, and we've got, we're never going to be the same. The church is never going to be the same. So the ones that are staying, what do we do? Where do we go from there? How do we use disruptive change for good? That's a question yeah. I'm asking you, Carly, and I, I know you have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but I'm hoping that we can use the next, however many shows, right, to explore this and really dive into this, because I think this is definitely a way forward and a way to think about social change, social justice in a way that actually creates lasting change, right? I bet we're out of time, aren't we, Carly? We are almost out of time. <laughs> but before we go, um, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to us. Um, we really appreciate you. And we wanted to, um, to let you all know that the WEHC is doing a fall fundraiser. Our goal is $50,000. So Hopefully we will reach that goal, but we are depending on you and your support to help us get there. The phone number for pledges is 276-944-6593, or you can go to WEHC 
fm.com and select make a gift if you would like to donate money to uh to WEHC and help us with our fall, fall fundraiser and reaching our goal we would greatly appreciate it just a reminder that WEHC connects the people of southwest virginia to each other to their region and to the world through the airwaves the internet and a growing use of podcasts we take pride in programming that is locally sourced and globally connected we are not a commercial station, so WEHC relies on your support to keep itself in business. We receive no state or federal support. Our financial challenges grow as we uh, as we seek to dramatically enhance our programming and better serve our listeners. So if you have some money you would like to donate to us, we would greatly appreciate it so we can continue to produce high quality shows for you, thought provoking shows for you, and we can continue to have this really important discussion. So thank you all so much for your support and listening to us. And we will be together again next week. So thank you all so much. All right. Thanks a million. See you next week. Pass of the victory. We shall walk.